These later years of childhood have been flying by. As a mom, I want to not just be available to my kids during these last years they have at home, but I want to feel good and have the energy I need to keep up with their schedule and my own. So my health is a top priority. Equilibria is a woman-owned wellness brand with unique science-backed products that help bring your mind and body back into harmony. You're not alone on your wellness journey. Every customer gets one-on-one support to help you meet your goals. EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense is a three-in-one capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. A healthy gut positively impacts immunity, mental health, sleep, digestion, and skin health. It helps regulate digestion, immunity against bad bacteria, and improve nutrient absorption. The gut has been called the second brain because it contains more than 100 million nerve cells. It is a vitally important piece to our overall health, both physical and mental. So to make sure my gut is working at its potential, I started taking EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense to improve my digestion and nutrition absorption, boost my overall immune health, and help with sleep and stress as a bonus. Head to myeq.com and use code PARENTING for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and much more. That's myeq.com and use code PARENTING at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50-plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Hello, everyone. So I don't know about you all, but this is one of the most stressful times of year for me. I hope you're all enjoying the positive parts as much as possible because there are a lot of them and you're managing the stressful parts as best you can. And I think I'm extra stressed out right now because I just want my house done and I'm trying to do so much of it myself. The kid's dad actually helped me put together the table saw the other day because I'm ready to start molding out the windows in the boys' rooms and I need to rip down some boards for the windowsills and the casings. I don't know if finished carpentry is my thing, but I guess I'll find out. So I started with the baseboards for the laundry room because one entire wall is behind the washer and dryer. So if the joints weren't perfect, it really didn't matter. But now I'm onto the stuff that really shows. So we'll see how this goes. Okay, enough about my renovation challenges. So I have a question today from the very popular topic of sleep, sleep issues, about bedtime struggles. However, 
There is some really great basic information on psychology and behavior that I'm going to cover about how we can begin to understand when our child is misbehaving over and over, what's looking at that situation, breaking it down, what is it that we might be doing that's actually reinforcing the behavior? Because a lot of times we feel like, I, I know I'm doing this, I'm not reinforcing this behavior, but there's some de definite things to look at and see how we can break that down and figure it out and we can get it fixed really quickly. So I'm gonna go into that. So it actually applies to any misbehavior you might be dealing with in your house. So let's get to this question today. This is from a mom who is at her wit's end with bedtimes and she's having some real struggles here. So she wrote, I was recommended your podcast by my pediatrician and I have been listening. We are having the worst night times with my three-year-old. She keeps coming out and I don't say anything or I say go back to bed. She screams, kicks on the ground. I try to get her up and walk her back and it's impossible. I'll pick her up and she bites me. It's especially hard because my 13 month old shares a room and she can't sleep. During the day, she has said she wants to sleep with us. She doesn't want to be apart. She's afraid of something in the bathroom. But after nighttime, she just keeps coming out and laughs. Then when that doesn't work, she cries. I don't know what to do. It's been about three weeks, Whitney. So behavior in general, we're gonna talk about behavior in general because like I said, parents can often be baffled by repeated misbehaviors that seem to have no reason or reward or reinforcement that we're doing as parents. But we need to look deeper because if it keeps happening, there is some kind of reinforcement. In the class Intro to Discipline, I talk about this basic principle of psychology and the four types of rewards and our punishments which ones work the best, which ones work the least in changing behaviors. And I cover this because it does underlie our transactions and choices as humans. These are just basic tenets of shaping human behavior. I also go on to discuss how some of these reward and punishment systems can affect parent-child relationships also, because just because something is effective, just because it works, especially in the short term, doesn't necessarily make it a good option for long-term development for humans or for long-term connection. Hence, where the timeout came in, it does tend to work a lot of times for most in most situations. It works in the short term, but it's not a good tool for the development of the parent-child relationship or for the child's self-esteem and development over the long haul. So. I'm gonna just quickly cover these foundational pieces of psychology so we all have this basic understanding of what can motivate certain behaviors, what can demotivate behaviors, what can increase or decrease behaviors. So, and this includes misbehaviors. So there's positive behaviors and what we might call negative behaviors or misbehaviors. We can increase either of these or decrease either of these based on the ways that we react. So you can have some basic to troubleshoot any repeated misbehaviors in your home. Then I'm getting get into exact tips for working with this bedtime scenario. So first I wanna talk about operant conditioning. So this was the work of B.F. Skinner. So if any of you have studied any psychology, even basic psychology, even in high school or college, Psychology 101, this was covered. Operant conditioning is a way of shaping behavior through a system of rewards and or punishments for that given behavior. So this is a basic concept. It's very practical and important application to human behavior and therefore for parenting. Um, now this first work with B.F. Skinner was done on animals, pigeons in particular, I believe. 
and he learned a lot about behavior. And it does actually also, um, we do this with dogs when we train dogs, when we train any animal. Um, I'm now riding horses, same behavior, same thing that we use to shape their behavior, to teach them um, you know, how to respond to what we're asking them to do. And the same thing works for humans. So I think this is really interesting, and I think it's extremely helpful in understanding our parenting and how we're working with our children and what might, why things might be working or not working. So there's two types of reinforcements and two types of punishments. There's positive reinforcement, which is adding something into the environment, which increases the behavior. So this can be something added that increases a negative behavior as well, or what we might consider a misbehavior. So you want to think of a child misbehaving at the dinner table and the sibling laughs. The laughter was added to the environment, and it will very likely increase the behavior. So we can have positive reinforcement for misbehaviors, and we'll increase a misbehavior, and this happens a lot. We can inadvertently reinforce that behavior in ways we aren't even realizing. So obviously this also works for increasing positive behaviors we want to increase. And what we use a lot, and I talk about a lot in the positive discipline class called focus on the positive. There's four different ways we can add a positive reinforcement to the environment to increase pro-social cooperative behaviors, which also naturally decreases any behaviors that are in the opposition to that positive behavior, things we don't want to see. So focusing on the positive behavior, increasing that will automatically decrease negative behaviors that are the opposite of the positive. You can think about things like verbal um, verbal reinforcement. So I think about with my horse when I'm riding her, she does exactly what I like and I reach over and I pet her and I tell her, good girl, that's a positive reinforcement. So then there's negative reinforcement, which is something removed from an environment that is likely to increase a behavior. So I've got a couple examples here. You wanna think of your car, where it makes all kinds of noises until you put on your seatbelt. Once you engage in the desired behavior, the unpleasant stimulus goes away. It's removing something unpleasant that will increase a behavior. So with my horse, when I'm riding her, when you move them left or right, you use leg pressure to push them in the direction you want them to go. That is, because it's uncomfortable, it's actually a positive reinforcement because we're trying to elicit a particular behavior. I'm trying to get her to move in a particular direction. So horses move on leg pressure. So you put the leg on where you, and when you want the horse to move left or right. So you put that leg pressure on, this is the unpleasant stimulus. So it goes away, you remove the leg pressure, remove that unpleasant stimulus once she engages in that behavior, it increases the behavior. So with reinforcements, whether they're positive or they're negative, it's to increase a behavior. Punishments, on the other hand, are designed to and will increase a behavior. So there's positive and negative punishments. A punishment is anything added to the environment that is likely to diminish a behavior. A negative punishment is anything taken out of the environment that is likely to diminish a behavior. So a punishment is to diminish a behavior. A reinforcement is to increase a behavior. So a positive punishment is something like a spanking. Now, obviously, I don't advocate for this in any way, shape, or form, but it is an example of a positive punishment. It is something added to the environment to decrease a behavior, to try to get a child to behave in a particular manner, to stop doing something. Then negative punishments are also things like taking away a privilege, 
or something desired in order to decrease behavior. So something like taking away parental intention or parental time, so the time out, is considered a negative punishment. Also something we don't advocate, and I've talked a lot about that. So this was used for quite a while, especially Super Nanny made this really popular, but timeouts are a negative punishment, and punishments just tend are, tend to be less effective than reinforcements, but they also can cause other issues. So we've really moved away from this timeout, this negative punishment type of thing um, when trying to shape children's behavior. Also taking away a toy to elicit a desired response. So a child who's misbehaving with a toy, taking that away. That is another idea of a negative punishment. Now, this isn't always the worst thing in the world, especially if they're throwing the toy. And I talk a lot about how you do that in a particular way that makes it a um, a logical consequence. We've talked about that in many, many episodes and in my classes, but um, these sometimes do have their place, but they're very, very, very sparing and done in a way that makes a lot of sense and folds right into what's happening in the room. A timeout never really makes sense. It's just a punishment meant to pull the child away and make things a little easier on the parent because they don't know what else to do. So in the class, toddler sleep it's actually toddler sleep and beyond. It's good for kids who, you know, if you're struggling in their early elementary school as well. But the reason I tell parents it's really important to keep their cool and basically never let them see you sweat. This is because if you walk your child back to bed 19 times and on the 20th time you finally lose it and you yell something at them like, stay in bed, do not leave again, do you hear me? You've just positively reinforced the behavior. It may not seem like it, but they've gotten a rise out of us. They've gotten some type of power over us. And there is, and it's very reinforcing to get mom or dad to lose their cool. So now they have a new goal 20 times next time to try to get a reaction out of mom or dad. Now, Whitney is not having this type of issue as she's not engaging, so we need to dig in even deeper here. We may think we aren't reacting, but if they see it on our face, they get a reaction, a look of anger or frustration or anything. They hear us talking to our spouse about how worn out we are, how frustrated we are, anything. We say, ouch, when she bites or swear under our breath. They got a reaction, especially if you have a persistent child Besides getting very mindful about the reaction, there are several steps we want to do ahead of time to set ourselves up and our children, set them up for success at bedtime or whatever that time of day, that part of the daily routine or schedule or area that is becoming an issue. Because the truth is humans are social creatures. We survive because we are cooperative. Societies that cooperate are the ones that survive. Kids need their parents to survive. So from a biological and sociological perspective, it only makes sense that they need to cooperate and they do want to, but they only don't cooperate when there's some need that's being met. And so we have to figure out what is that? From a psychological perspective, what need are they trying to meet that we need to figure out what that is and then fulfill it in another way because they do wanna cooperate. They do wanna be helpful. So there's more nuances, like I said, to this behavior than just that. But this is the basic foundation of human biology. So once we figure out what else is going on from a psychological perspective and remove those barriers, bedtime or whatever the struggle gets much, much easier. So this is kind of like a puzzle. It's actually kind of fun, I hope, sometimes to try to figure out what's going on. I guess that's why I do what I do, because I find human behavior really fascinating. I know some people just, it's a lot. 
to dig into this, but we're gonna dig in here and make this as easy as we can. I'm gonna cover all this, the steps to making bedtimes like this a lot smoother, right after a word from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. By Heart is an infant nutrition company whose mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, by Heart created a clinically proven, easy-to-digest infant formula that's made with organic, grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. Our blend includes the most abundant protein found in breast milk, alpha-lac, as well as lactoferrin, the number one protein found in colostrum, along with broken down, partially hydrolyzed proteins. By Heart is an easy-to-digest formula. In addition to its patented protein blend, our formula includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system. BiHeart is the only U.S.-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk, not skim. Curious about BiHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with the code parenting for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important, but did you know indoor air quality can be up to a hundred times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HEPA-14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. Now that we're back, I'm going to get into dissecting misbehaviors and then step into fixing it. So my instinct here is that there is something going on in this interaction that is reinforcing this getting out of bed behavior. It sounds like the daughter feels like it's a game. So that's a lot of fun for kids, getting mom and dad to engage in a game, especially when they don't really want to. Keeps everybody up, keeps them interacting with them. So we're gonna get into the mindset of being as stoic as we can, no matter what the child does. So it not only means no words or just a single phrase is fine too, but it also means no eye contact, no facial expression whatsoever that communicates any emotion, even a negative one like frustration or anger or exasperation. Nothing in the voice, nothing in the breathing, nothing that is going to communicate that I am upset here or that I'm getting at my wits end. So 
I want to get to the exact steps in a few moments, but I also want to talk about some preparation to lay a foundation for success earlier in the day. So three-year-olds, this is a common age for nightmares, nighttime fears, things that creep in. Imaginations are absolutely exploding. You see this in their play. They get very creative in their play. They're making up all kinds of scenarios. They're using all kinds of items as other items. They're using um, bananas as phones and books as cars, and they're just absolutely exploding. It's amazing, but it also means that their imagination is very wild for other things that may come in and may seem scary to them. So we never want to plant ideas in their heads. We don't want to say something like, are you afraid of something in your room at bedtime? Or are you imagining monsters under your bed? You wanna stay away from that. But you wanna keep the question very basic, very open-ended to just open a conversation. Why do you feel like you wanna leave your room at bedtime? You wanna have a conversation around this. You wanna let their answers guide you through the conversation. What can we do to make your room more inviting? You know, a lot of kids through these early years may need more light than they did before. We put dimmers on all the kids' lights so that they could set the lighting to their comfort level and they could control that. That's a big deal to kids. Our oldest kept his up pretty high for many years. Uh, and he is the one that had a lot of nightmares and a lot of imagination um, at bedtime. So this was a struggle. So letting him control that amount of light in his room really helped him feel a lot more secure and safe in his room and staying in there at night. Our daughter barely ever turned on her light. Um, her twin brother was somewhere in the middle, but more towards the lower end. He would keep his turn all the way down, but the light's still on, but on the lowest setting for the dimmer. But this gives them so much control over that light and over their comfort level. So there might be other things you can do from cozy pillows to any kind of decorating, a reading corner, um, some friendly pictures or decals on the wall, a princess mesh over the bed. I'm sure you've seen them, it's like a little ring and you get this little mesh and it hangs over their bed and it hangs from the wall and it just feels cozy and inviting. Things like that. And when kids get to choose different ways of decorating their room, it feels, they take a lot of ownership in that. There's a lot of pride in that. Like, this is mine. I decided on this. I picked the color. I picked the picture for the wall, my unicorns or my teddy bear, whatever it is that makes them feel really cozy and comfortable in their room. So this feels like this is mine. This is my space that I helped decorate. So you're going to do that prep work and increasing their comfort level, but within some solid boundaries. So having an imagination and feeling like it's too dark, and if this is the case and you fix the, you can fix this darkness issue, and this is normal and it's okay, but getting up out of bed after tuck-in is not. So we're setting that boundary that there will be no interaction after tuck-in at bedtime. So whether you've had the time to implement the changes in the room or not, if there are any, you still wanna set solid bedtime expectations and boundaries. So even if it's like that very day and you're gonna start setting up these boundaries really strongly, but you haven't had time to change out the light or you haven't had time to go get some cozy pillows, that's okay. You still wanna get going on this change for bedtime and really setting this up. You're gonna do your routine, do your tuck-in. So there's three methods you can use. Um, the method you use will depend on what you feel will work best for your child because children are all different and you may go, oh, that, that I think will work with my child and you're going to, you know, might try that one or this works really well with my parenting style and my child. We're going to use this one. Um, the mantra method is the one where you say nothing at all or just one phrase 
and you walk your child back or take them back to the room or pick them up and take them back to the room and lay them in their bed and then just turn around and walk away. The other method is the fading method, which is where you stay with your child, but you slowly remove yourself from her presence at bedtime as she falls asleep, but always leaving before the child falls asleep. Now this works great for some kids, and so long as the child will stay in the room and will fall asleep on their own, this can work really, really well. If, however, your child will start to fall asleep, then you get up to leave and the child bolts awake and comes running out of the room after you, this just isn't gonna be the method for you. So basically, this is how this one goes. You sit at the edge of the bed, you may rub her back for a few minutes, you may even do it off and on, and you just sit quietly until your child gets very sleepy. Then you get up and you leave. Now you're gonna explain all of this ahead of time. So if it feels like the right choice for you or the right fit, you're gonna let your child know you're gonna try this. And so long as she stays in bed, after you get up and leave, you can continue doing this. So this is really a positive reinforcement, right? As long as it works, you're gonna stay in the room and hang out until she gets sleepy and then you're gonna walk out. And that's part of this idea. Now, if she gets up and bolts after you, you don't get to do this one anymore. And so this is, um, and so if this works, uh, this is a really great way to reinforce this. So you do each step two to three days, then you move to the next step. So the next step might be might be sitting on the bed until she's sleepy, but not falling asleep. So the first two to three days, you're doing it till she's falling asleep, not asleep though, not fully asleep. You wanna make sure that in her consciousness, you are gone when she falls asleep. The next one might be you're sitting in a chair beside the bed until she is sleepy. Then you... Uh, might be in a chair by the bed for several minutes. So let's say it normally takes your child 15 minutes to fall asleep. And so you're now leaving at about 10 minutes because she's getting sleepy. Well, now you might stay in the chair for six minutes, seven minutes, a little less time than you normally do. So you're just staying in there with her. Then um, you're going to stay in a chair by the door for six or seven minutes. Then you might stay in a chair by the door for five minutes. Like You decide what these steps are, what you're changing, either the direction away from the child, getting further away, or the amount of time you're spending in the room. And you kind of can, um, can layer these together to see, um, and you'll figure out, like just your instincts will tell you what the right thing is at the right time to do and work on that depending on what seems to work better. So this method can take three to six weeks, depending on how sensitive your child is to the changes every few days. For some kids, you may need to do less noticeable changes. You may need to make these changes very minute. So you may need to sit beside the bed for eight minutes and then sit beside the bed for seven minutes and then sit you know, a couple um, halfway across the room for six to seven minutes. And so you, you may have to do really small changes. For others, you might be able to do bigger chunks of changes, like I was mentioning earlier. Sit in a chair, staying five minutes instead of 10. You may be able to do a bigger change like that. That'll get you through that quicker. But, you know, you always, you don't want to have some big abrupt change that your child is going to have a big reaction to. And this is really going to depend on their temperament. And you will know if you need to make some smaller increments or if you can make them a little bit bigger. The other method is the check-in method. So this is similar, but you have a talk beforehand and you say you let your child know that as long as they stay in your bed, in their bed, you will be back in whatever amount of time you feel like is might be pushing the envelope, but not too much. You might want to just set up some positive reinforcement pretty early on here to set everybody up for success. So you may just go stay out for two minutes and come in and check on her. So, and then you do this like every two minutes. 
come in and check on her until she's fallen asleep. As long as she stays in her bed, you'll keep checking in. If she doesn't stay in her bed until you check in, then you're gonna move to the mantra method. So you'll know like maybe five minutes is fine. Then you're gonna make it longer every, every two to three days. You're gonna check in at five minutes. You're gonna check in at seven minutes. You're gonna check in at 10 minutes. Pretty soon, you're just kind of fading this out. Now you can do this as long as you want. You can do just a check-in every night, come in at seven or 10 minutes when you know they're getting sleepy and say goodnight and walk out. Have that positive reinforcement because they're staying in their room. You Or you can eventually just not check in because it's going extremely well. You can decide how you wanna do that. But a check-in you know, at bedtime 10 minutes later is a whole lot easier than doing this whole bedtime struggle too. So these two methods make it easier for dealing with the younger sibling in the room. So that's the other positive of these two methods if these are ones that will work with your children. If they're just gonna be pushing back a ton and just gonna make it really hard and you're not sure where the line is and you're trying to move away from the bed and it's a big deal, it's not gonna work. If the check-in method, if they're getting up the moment that you walk out of the room, that's not gonna work. So the other method is the mantra method. This is the one that Whitney, you've been using. It is much faster, but this is why I say there, there's definitely some positive reinforcement happening here because this is a method that two to three nights, boom, this is fixed. It's drastically better in two to three nights, five to seven nights, it is a thing of the past. You may get a little pushback here and there every couple of weeks or something, a little test, or you know, if something's going on or they hear some weird noise, they may get out of bed. But otherwise, this is fixed very quickly. It's very effective. So um, if it's not working, there's definitely some positive reinforcement for the negative behavior that's happening here. So with this method, when your child gets out, you pick her up, you put her back in her room, you do not respond. So for now, ignore the biting. I know it feels wrong and probably weird not to respond to the biting because this is a behavior we definitely don't tolerate. But the issue is then you're working on two issues and you're taking time at bedtime to try to fix the biting issue. So it's a reinforcement for the acting out at bedtime. And then you're creating a bigger problem. You're now trying to fix two problems. So fix bedtimes. She's pulling out everything she knows in order to try to get a reaction that she's seeking. She knows biting will likely get a reaction, whether it's a wince, whether it's ouch, or something like that. So not even an out, not even a wince. If the biting is really difficult, if it really hurts, if it's painful, if there's no way to actually pick her up, bring her back to her room without creating some kind of access to getting bitten, and it's hard enough that it just, it hurts and is bothering you, then it is okay to set up a way to keep her in a room with the door closed. Now this is a discussion that you have beforehand because this is a last resort. It also gives her a choice. So obviously when we want our children safe, she needs to have access to light, like a nightlight, a dimmer, whatever level of light helps her feel safe. We don't want them alone in their room and scared. This is not what we're going for, but we do wanna set a loving but firm boundary. Biting at bedtime when we're simply trying to respectfully set a boundary, it's just not okay. So we need to keep ourselves safe from interacting with that. So if the biting is really painful, we figure out how to make sure that cannot happen. And if there's no way to pick her up without her biting, then we're gonna have a discussion. So we're gonna have a discussion that she can make a choice. So this also gives her a choice about whether she's going to bite or not and letting her know. So you can put a child lock on the inside of the door. You may or may not have to use it. You may or may not have to close the door. Let her know that if she bites, 
And this is before the whole bedtime routine is starts happening earlier in the day. And then you can do a little reminder at bedtime that you will have to close the door because biting's not okay. So we're gonna fix the biting during the daytime or and then a reminder right at bedtime before um, you uh, before you walk out of the room. So we're gonna work on that outside of that time when we're having the scuffle. So it's not complicating this issue. So she gets to make the choice. She will likely test it once, just so you know, maybe twice, but it's unlikely. But after that, she will understand the boundary and respect it. So you can wait outside the door if you like. So you shut the door. So let's say she gets out, she comes out, you pick her up, she does bite. You have, and you have already laid down this boundary. I'm going to have to close your door. You've got the child lock on it. You can wait outside the door. You can have a video monitor so you can watch and make sure that she's safe. You can leave it closed until she falls asleep and then open it so in the middle of the night she's able to get out. And so she's obviously not stuck in there while you're sleeping, it's while you're still there. So you're kind of waiting, you're monitoring her when she falls asleep, you're opening up the door so that um, so that she has access if she wakes up and needs you or needs to use the bathroom or whatever, has a nightmare, needs to get a hold of you, get, needs to get out, she can. The other option is to leave the door open and wait right outside the door. This way, she can't get very far. Now I know it sounds tiring waiting outside the door as you wait out the bedtime struggle, but it's an investment of a few nights for the future and it's done. So this way there isn't very far to take her to get her back to bed. And so there's less struggle. Now the rule in our house always was you don't have to stay in your bed, but you need to stay in your room. So often find times we would find Chandler asleep on his floor or asleep on his rocking chair or many other things. There was one time we found Taylor asleep at the top of the stairs. So she left her room, but she didn't, she knew not to come downstairs and get us. Um, you know, she knew like bedtime was bedtime. We don't bug mom and dad after bedtime. And we didn't know she was out of her room, but she must have, you know, been feeling a little um, uncomfortable that night. So she must have just laid down at the top of the stairs and fell asleep. She probably heard our voices and she felt fine and safe. And so we walked upstairs and here's this little, I don't know, two or three year old toddler across the top step um, or right at the top of the top step. It's really cute. Picked her up, took her in her room. I think that only happened once. We took a picture because it's just so cute. So with this method, it does pose some challenges if the siblings are sharing a room, but it's quick. So it's only a few days. So if this is the one you decide to go with or the other two aren't working and you need to move to this one, like Whitney having siblings share a room, doing bedtime with the child who's giving the issue and the pushback at bedtime, do that bedtime first. Doing that until the child is fast asleep and then you can bring the sibling in. Because otherwise what happens is we end up backing down or reacting or making allowances we normally wouldn't to the child who's pushing back because we don't want to disturb the child who actually does go to sleep well. So the other thing is you can have the other child fall asleep in a different environment just for a few nights and then move that child into the room once that child's asleep and the other child is asleep. Now we don't want to set up any really bad habits of the other child falling asleep in another environment for too long, but after two nights should be okay or just letting that child stay awake for a little bit longer and then taking them in to put them down for bed. So if you want more information, the class Intro to Discipline goes into basics of psychology, parenting styles, some of these things that work well, why they work, why some things we think might work don't work. Focus on the positive, uh, talks about ways to focus on the positive and increase that positive behavior and decrease that negative behavior. Discipline tools for toddlers, discipline tools for preschoolers, the class toddler sleep, all go deeper on what I shared today. So these and all 60 parenting classes can be found on my website at yourvillageonline.com. Also, you can check out my book, The Connected Parents Guide to Toddlerhood. 
On Amazon, I cover sleep, all the positive discipline tools for toddlers, power struggles, temperament, because that will shape how we interact with each child in a different way based on their temperament, toddler development, and several other common key areas of toddlerhood struggles like potty training, separation anxiety, and several others. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.